welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, we're coming at you after a week off. We're going to follow up with some undrafted free agents. We're also going to talk about what the 49ers roster now looks like, that we've gone through the draft. We've got some undrafted free agents. We've released some undrafted free agents. We've released some old draft picks. Lots of things are happening in roster land for uh, basically the San Francisco version of the Purge. But before we get to all that, but first, David, how the hell are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling good. Um, it's been it's been a solid week. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just like a lot of good things happening, I guess. Yeah, you'll be uh, I guess you'll be on Josh Norris's podcast, or at least I don't know when he's releasing it, but you're going to be on it tomorrow talking about Niners and then that episode will come out and we'll, of course, share it here. So definitely big things. Yeah, it's exciting. So he's going through and kind of doing his draft recap division by division. Um, so I'm going to go on there tomorrow night and, and talk about the Niners draft if you haven't gotten tired of, of that yet. So, um, yeah, we'll talk about that. I think he'll kind of finish up talking about the rest of the NFC West. Um, so it should be a good time. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. I, on the other hand, am sore as balls because uh, I, I was going to ask you to guess, but you'll never guess. I played dodgeball for a solid hour yesterday on Tuesday. Tuesday. It's Wednesday night. And I am sore all over. I, I think this is the moment. This is the moment where I realize I'm old as balls. Yeah, you just you get to a point and things just hurt and you don't really have a solid explanation for it. You're just like, oh, it's because I'm old now. That's just yeah, my, my explanation. Works. I mean, the dodgeball is a pretty solid explanation. I will just go ahead and say that. But uh, I mean, come but on, yeah. dodgeball. Like, I don't know what kind of dodgeball you're playing. Maybe you're playing some kind of crazy ass dodgeball that I never played before, but. Uh, four on four with the little like the little foam balls that like are made to not hurt kids, uh, which I, when I was a kid, I used to play with the big rubber balls where you like had to go out and get that. Otherwise, you were going to get knocked on your ass. <laughs> uh, the one where you could like pelt a foot and it would cause the foot to hit another foot. And so if you ever jumped to avoid a dodge, <laughs> you would fall. Oh, and we didn't man, play on grass when I was a fun. kid. We played on pavement. We played a game called Nation Ball. It wasn't even dodgeball. It was Nation Ball. It was like the World Cup of dodgeball. Um, hey, man, Slater Elementary School. That's where I, I learned how to play the, the nation ball in them streets. You can dodge a brick. Uh, but, you can dodge a ball. That's right. So let's talk about what's happened with the 49ers roster thus far. We've got uh, really the rundown is basically going to be roster transactions. One is going to be at the running back position. Dewan Harris, cut. Mike Davis, uh, you've got Nostradamus over here and David who said, well, you know, Mike Davis probably going to be on the chopping block. And then like two days later, he gone. Uh, so Harris had just resigned with the team for the fourth time in March. And, you know, basically Mike Davis was someone who was drafted late, fit more of a gap scheme. And we no longer, uh, we are no longer in a gap scheme. So he was an easy kind of roster, roster cut. And now you've got uh, a big full running back roster uh, with some intriguing players on it. Yeah, I think the Mike Davis one, you know, made a lot of sense for that last point that you made in terms of just not really being a great scheme fit. I mean, we talked about it even with him last year, right? When when Chip was there and bringing the zone scheme in, you know, he ran obviously a little bit more inside zone, which I think would have been a little bit better for Mike Davis. But um, yeah, he's he's really struggled. Um, you know, he was somebody that we thought had some talent for sure. I mean, I, I know uh, Matt Waldman, when we, we've had him on, obviously, each of the past few draft seasons, he... Uh, was a big fan of Davis's skill set, and um, it just kind of never panned out. He he really, even behind, you know, what has been a very, very bad offensive line during the time that he's been in San Francisco, 
Um, he just hasn't been able to make anything happen, right? He hasn't been able to make anything happen after contact. Um, yards per carry has been awful. You know, yards per, per carry um, after contact has been awful. Like, it just hasn't really worked out for him. I think Harris is a, maybe a little bit more surprising, but again, they just have a ton of guys there, and, and they're kind of moving swiftly uh, it, when they realize that a guy is not going to be a fit and, and isn't going to likely be uh, in the team's plans. They move on quickly. And that's, I think, the interesting part, because this team doesn't seem wed to players that even they signed because the Mike Davis, the, the Mike Davis release, you can kind of get not part of this really regimes uh, process and getting him in the building. But Dewan Harris was Dewan Harris was the guy that he was one of the first resignings, actually, that uh, Lynchahan had. And then all of a sudden they're like, uh, no, actually, never mind. Not not that big of a deal. Yeah, it's weird to see. And I think you kind of almost have to now take that logic and apply it to some of the other free agent signings, right, that maybe aren't as big. Like, obviously, they're not getting rid of Pierre Garçon or or something like that, right? Somebody that they spent a a significant amount of money on. But I think you look at some of those other guys that just kind of were filling in some spots. And and I think there's really no reason to expect those guys to be around, um, you know, once the final 53 gets here, once, you know, we're, we're just getting into the season um, I think we very well could see more of those guys, you know, be part of the cuts depending on how things work out. And I think that makes it really interesting for, you know, we're going to spend some time talking about undrafted guys, which is normally something that we don't really do. You know, a lot, a lot of times when uh, I think the past few years with draft stuff, we've kind of we're we're going to spend most of the time on guys that we think have, you know, a legitimate chance of making the roster. And usually those are players that are taken, you know, in the top four rounds, maybe you get a random fifth or sixth rounder in there that that seems like uh, could potentially be a fit. But we pretty much rarely have covered undrafted guys. And that's something that we're going to do because of where this roster is at. And and there are a few guys that have, I think, legitimate chances to make a roster. So speaking of the undrafted guys, because I don't know that the, that a whole hell of a lot needs to be said about the Dewan Harris move and the Mike Davis move. I think this is and we talked about a little earlier last week or two weeks ago, I guess now, when if you're going to trust Bobby Turner and Kyle Shanahan with any position, it, it's going to be the running back position. This is what they do. And we'll talk a little bit about that in depth later on when we get to some of the other undrafted free agents. But uh, getting to one that was released recently, and that's going to be Katie Cannon. He was a wide receiver out of Baylor who was definitely raw. That was kind of the line on him is that he was a limited route runner because of just the system that they ran in Baylor. And he got, though, a pretty sizable signing bonus for a for an undrafted free agent. And the way that the team structured the deal was really a five thousand dollar guarantee in terms of, you know, the salary guarantee. But they guaranteed forty thousand dollars of his salary, which so the the team was supposedly on the hook for forty five thousand dollars, which is a pretty good chunk of investment for an undrafted free agent. And so to cut him after like one or two practices in shorts it was like, what? What the hell is this team doing? Because he was a he was a high priority free agent. He was yeah. sought after by several teams. Yeah, I mean the priority part, right? That gets that's tossed around there. I think for for some of these guys um, that end up getting some of the larger guarantees, um, and yeah, he was he was one of them. I think a lot of people were, um, you know, pretty big fans of that move too. I mean, you saw a lot of 49ers Twitter kind of hop on that bandwagon and talk about you know um, you know him having a chance to make the roster, and it's seems kind of hazy in terms of what actually happened there to lead to his release. I mean, the most that we've got is, you know, a couple of the beat reporters were like, uh, he looked kind of lazy and, and, you know, didn't really, wasn't showing a lot of effort, 
um, during the rookie minicamp. Yeah. Yeah, it was Chris Biederman who said that he didn't finish a route after a catch and that it was an attitude thing. And Eric, I think Eric branch had like a very similar sort of, uh, of comment. So it, I don't know that that's like, you know, that's, it's, it's not a lot to go on, I guess. Um, and so it's, it seems kind of, it was a little strange at the time for somebody that seemed to be again, a player that they put a priority on that they really wanted to get in there. And then they saw all that they needed to see, you know, within, you know, just a, a few practices over the weekend, essentially. Wasn't it Bill Walsh that uh, I think it was in maybe it was in Brian Billick's book or it was in someone's book where they talked about Bill Walsh always picking one person to cut like early on in camp to prove his point that it's like basically shit's getting real. Like <laughs> no, no, no one's immune to this. And I mean, he obviously wouldn't cut like, you know, a really, really good player, but he would always pick someone um, to, to cut. I, I'll, I'll have to look it up before I, anyone quotes me on that and says, yes, that's true. I'll, I'll look it up and confirm uh, here either during the show or a little after to see if that makes any sense, see if I can find it. But I think really the takeaway for me is that this team isn't screwing around. Like it, it's, it's you, you finish every rep, you do what you need to do. We have an expectation. And especially when you are an undrafted free agent, you should be the people who are trying the hardest because you know you're, you kind of know your lot in life, right? Like you are bottom of the barrel. You hope you make the roster and hope you're not just a camp body. And yeah, I don't think that the 49ers missed out on some, you know, the next Josh Gordon or something like that. Um, but but I do think that it, it it is a tone setting move, in my opinion. Yeah, I think with all of the things that they have to worry about in terms of this roster, I mean, the last thing that it makes sense to to waste any energy on is an undrafted dude that doesn't want to put in the work. You know, if that's really ultimately what it came down to and it's this effort attitude issue where he's kind of lackadaisical, like. Yeah, there's there's no reason to put up with that. It's not like he's such a great talent that you can kind of live with that sort of thing. He was undrafted for a reason. Yeah, he's a high priority undrafted free agent. That sounds more important than it is, because if he were any higher prioritized, he would have been drafted. He would have been drafted, right? If if it were that (laughs) big of a deal, ultimately, he would have been drafted. Yeah, and and that's not to say that you know undrafted free agents are by definition never going to be successful in the NFL. It's just let's let's put it in context. It's yeah. it's they have they have longer odds than some of the other players. So the the next story here in the rundown before we get to the undrafted free agents is actually something that came up uh, kind of haphazardly, and and I didn't even know it happened. It's really a, a comment that Mike Lombardi made on the Ringer podcast. He does a segment with the Ringer called GM Street. Where he kind of you know talks a bit about you know GMing, share some inside stories and stuff like that. Earlier today, someone tweeted me, you know, hey, Mike Lombardi is reporting that the Niners are looking to trade Navarro Bowman. Do you know anything about that? And I was like, what? I don't even. What? This? Okay, this is weird. I thought maybe someone. I was thinking maybe he said, oh, you know, I could see you know a trade now that they've drafted Ruben Foster and it's a possibility and yada yada yada. And so I was like, all right, hold up, let me listen to this. So I go and, and I queue up the podcast and I listen to it. And, and here's, here's what Mike Lombardi says. And, and we'll kind of talk about how to interpret exactly what he says here after you hear the clip. Uh, right now with the 49ers, they may be trying to unload that yeah, probably. They're definitely doing that. They're definitely doing that. Tate, they, they've, made it, they've made it known that if you want him, he's healthy, yeah. that they'll be willing to move. I think this too, I think what fans have to understand is, is, and this is what we always did in the league, is whenever there's a new coaching staff, and this is an Al Davisism, whenever there's a new coaching staff, you have to always 
know that the teams that hire new coaches are going to get rid of players for because they want different players. Yeah, they just want a new – it's right. just turnover. Now, I don't know about Bowman as just being a new player, but the, San Francisco is going to clean it. Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, they're going to clear out that roster. Bowman is a guy who's had been a leader in the locker room. He's been part of the team. He had a really good relationship with the old general manager, uh, uh, Trent Balky. So I think that this is a message they would send to the locker room that he's no longer in control anymore. Mm-hmm. He's available if you want him. I don't know who's going to pay him $9.5 million coming off all the injuries that he's had, but you can have him. And I think that ultimately, you know, you got to make that decision. I don't think it'll be a lot. I think the 49ers will get rid of him for very little. So there it is. I mean, it sounded pretty unequivocal. It wasn't like a, well, maybe, or oh, I kind of maybe heard some whispers. It was like the 49ers made pretty clear that they were willing to move Navarro Bowman. And this is someone who just re-signed his deal after his he, he came back from injury before the Achilles, and he signed an extension where I think he added one or two years. Uh, and you heard Mike Lombardi talk about his his salary there at just over $9 million. So, David, does does that kind of a move make sense? Like, I get trading Vance McDonald. I get trading some of the other, or, or releasing some of these other pieces, but Navarro Bowman, for a couple of reasons, doesn't strike me as a likely trade option. Yeah, I think, you know, largely because of the contract, right? So I think if it were a situation where he was on, you know, kind of a really friendly contract, especially for the position that he plays. And, um, you know, again, we've talked about that it's going to take a couple of years for this roster to really get in a position to to be, uh, you know, a team that can legitimately compete and, you know, push for a playoff spot. Um, That's going to take time. And so if you don't think that Navarro Bowman, um, again, he's what he's got to be getting really close to 30 um, if he's not going to be 30 this year. Um, And so, you know, if if you think that Navarro Bowman really isn't going to be all that helpful for your team in two, three years, I can see, you know, wanting to move on. If you thought that there was a good market and you might be able to get a decent pick in return or something like that, um, that that wouldn't be all that crazy to me. But I, I think if you if you already view his contract as being um, one that's going to be difficult to kind of offload onto a, another team um, and you're just going to settle for getting, you know, a sixth or a seventh round pick for this guy. Like at that point, because you have a crazy amount of cap space and you're not really gaining much by by getting the contract up the books, like I don't see why you wouldn't keep him around. Right. You, you do want to as much as you want to have, um, you know, these young guys and this new core of players that they want to build there uh, to to kind of build around. Um, you need to to really properly evaluate the young guys. You need enough decent veteran players there to kind of, you know, bring everything together and to kind of be the glue. Um, because if it's just a bunch of, you know, rookies and second and third year players, like th- that's really hard to to put together and, and to really evaluate those players properly. And this is and this is exactly the reason you bring in someone like a Pierre Garçon, right? Someone who's yeah. a little older, but it's the same idea. He can help mold the players that are coming up so that in two, three years when the new core of this team is ready to compete, then they've learned skills. They're maybe pushing some of those vets out and, and then you don't have to re-sign them. Incidentally, Navarro Bowman is 28 years old. His cap number this year is $9.5 million, as you heard Lombardi say. Dead money if the Niners cut him would be $10.8 million. So, you know, the, the, surely if we traded him, the guaranteed money wouldn't go just the, uh, the, the salary, but still, I mean, his base salary is 6.7 million for uh, an unknown quantity because of his injury. So it, the, the only thing I could think of is maybe they're trying to get ahead of 
you know, maybe what they're projecting to be, you know, less than awesome Navarro Bowman that maybe they think it's like he's coming back and it's going to be 80% of Navarro Bowman and we don't want to pay a hundred percent of his contract for 80% of Bowman. So maybe trade him while we can. But uh, even then, I don't think that, I, I don't think that's that it makes very, very little sense. There's a little piece of me that thinks that the, the whole episode and, and you can listen and you should listen to the whole episode. Some of it's pretty interesting, but the whole episode was framed around an all trade team. And they were kind of talking about how if we were to trade some people, maybe whether you heard about them being on the block or whether you just think they'd be a good system fit, who's a good candidate to be traded. And so I think maybe I think maybe it was more of the let's think about who could possibly be traded and Bowman came up. And sometimes, honestly, Lombardi gets on these rants and he yeah. just says things and they get I think he just says them because they <laughs> they sound cool in his head. And, and so, you know, that that's how you maybe end up with a comment like that. But that, that that I think was interesting. Yeah, I mean, he tends to sound very matter of fact about nearly everything, it seems like. And, and so, yeah, yeah it, it is a little hard to gauge him saying you know, essentially that, yeah, absolutely. This is like a well-known thing, right? Everybody knows that they're trying to get rid of him. And then you haven't heard anything. Like I, I haven't seen this from any of, of the Niners beat guys, like none of the national reporters, like anybody, like no one else has mentioned anything about Bowman being a trade candidate. So it's just kind of, uh, it's always strange when you see just kind of like this one stray report. Um, and, and it's, it's tough to know like how much stock to put into that. And it's not like the Niners have been quiet about this stuff. We knew Vance McDonald was on the trading block as soon yeah. as that became a thing, right? Like, it's not like it's, you know, they're, they're not hiding that. But to be fair, I and think John- it was Lombardi, right, that men- that was the first one to to say anything about McDonald being on the trade block, I think. Um, I don't know that he was the first one, but he did definitely mention it. And he mentioned it earlier in that segment as well. And John Lynch came out and confirmed it later, so... Uh, I guess be reporters if you're listening. Uh, let's let's ask. Let's ask John Lynch because you know he'll tell us the truth. He'll t- he'll tell us the <laughs> god awful truth, or at least he'll make it, it really sound like it's the truth. You'll believe. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So that's that's the rundown. It's it's been a pretty quiet week, and and that's okay. I think we all needed a bit of a rest. Now, but let's get to the undrafted free agents because there was a hell of a haul. We we signed a pretty big undrafted free agent class. Something that. I think both you and I are pretty excited about just because of the roster churn that involves. And we're not going to get to every single undrafted free agent, but we are going to highlight just a couple of the ones that we think either A, are intriguing to us, B, have a good shot of making the team, or or C, are interesting to talk about for one reason or another. And it really comes down to, I think, three that we're going to talk about. One is going to be running back Matt Breda. Uh, Is it? I think it's Breda because the E comes before the I. But, you know... When it comes to names, Breda, Breda, I don't know. It's probably one of those two. I think Breda makes. The I think Breda because of the E yeah. comes before the I. So Matt Breda, I'm running back that. from Georgia Southern, uh, Lorenzo Jerome, safety out of St. Francis. No, not the high school in Mountain View. Uh, that would be St. Fascist. Uh, and then you've got Cole Hicatini. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <it's laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about, but it just sounds funny. Wait, so. That was that. That was the private high school right behind the high school that I went to, uh, and. They were really good at sport balls. Like they just, they were good because they were a private school. So they could like <laughs> so get scholarship like recruited, and stuff. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, and they were really good at sports. Um, and, and yeah, they, they beat us up a lot. And so we called them St. Fascist. Uh, but, and then you've got Cole Hicatini, uh, tight end out of Louisville. So those are the players we're going to talk about. And first let's talk about basically the player that has become the, the better rivals crush of the off season. 
uh, and that's going to be Matt Breda. Uh, hit us up with the, the top line numbers on Matt and why we think he's an intriguing prospect as an undrafted free agent. Yeah, man, this is this is like my guy. I mean, I think in in the actual draft class, Akella Witherspoon was probably kind of my my crush of that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we liked a lot of the other picks, but he was kind of the guy um, that I think I you know identified beforehand, and and to see that work out, and just to kind of see what he does on tape is is really awesome. So I think Breda is basically that guy of the undrafted class for me. I think. Um, you know, the first thing that you saw, I was like, okay, I'm going to go, let's, let's see what kind of athlete this guy is. Does he even belong in the NFL as an undrafted guy? And, oh, he's the number one running back in spark 94th percentile spark, uh, score. So he really kind of had a, 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 he wasn't invited to the combine. I mean, he had a down 2016. Um, and I actually got some insights. So, uh, Chris Brown, uh, of smart football, of course, who is just like an encyclopedia of, of football knowledge was like, Oh yeah, they completely changed. They overhauled their coaching staff in 2016, and basically the whole team fell apart. So he put up big, big production in 2014 and 2015, his freshman and sophomore years, and then had the coaching change and this everything kind of fell off a cliff for for the entire team uh, last season. And he thinks that essentially, if if he would have come out after the 2015 season, he was probably going to be somebody that was drafted. Um, you know, if he doesn't stick around there and have that kind of down year. So um, he's, yeah, he's somebody that I, I think put up some big production um, again, as a big time athlete, you see that score and it always makes you feel better again, just because he has that crazy um, spark score doesn't mean that he's going to be a good player, but it makes you feel better that he kind of has the athleticism coming from a small school um, to, to be, you know, not only comparable to NFL athletes, but in the top tier of NFL athletes. So I think that's uh, yeah. certainly really encouraging. And that spark score, for those that aren't familiar or who are maybe tuning in for the first time, is a composite score that several teams in the NFL use to really measure overall athleticism. Uh, And the thing that's really neat about it is that it is also adjusted for mass. So it's one thing when someone who is 180 pounds runs a 4440. It's another thing when someone who's 230 pounds runs a 4440. It takes more muscle, more athleticism, more power to move 220 pounds that fast than it does when you're 180. So it, it combines lots of numbers like you know your speed, some agility, um, some explosion like the broad jump and the vertical jump, and it combines it all into a score. And Zach Whitman does this really awesome thing where he basically compares people's uh, scores based on verified combine scores or in some cases pro days and compares them to the athleticism scores across that position in the NFL. So when we say that someone's in the 95th percentile or the 60th percentile, that means that at their position, 60% or 90% in these, in these examples, respectively, are going to be worse athletes than they are. So they're like, they're like top athletes. And Breda was the number one ranked Peace Park athlete at the running back position in this year's draft. So it wasn't like, oh, he's a decent athlete. It's like, this guy tested really, 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 really freaking well. Yeah. And that, again, that 94th percentile, that's not in, in this draft class. That is among current NFL players, current NFL running backs. So, again, big time athlete. And then you go back and you look at some of the production, right? So, I, I think it really is kind of this impressive combination of big playability, which is something that we talked about with, with Joe Williams. Right. And then also being able to get yards after contact. So you look at that 2015 season, um, you know, when he was with the coaching staff that kind of had things moving and, and Georgia Southern really was able to, to kind of compete with some big time programs um, during those two seasons. Breda had 60.3% of his rushing yardage um, in 2015, come on runs of 15 yards or more. 
um, which is PFF's breakaway percentage, right, is what they refer to that as. Um, that only trailed Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook was at 62.9%. So, again, a big, big, big plays there. Um, you know, a lot of runs over 15 yards or more. And then you also see the yards after contact. So 3.61 yards after contact per attempt. Um, that was eighth out of 51 qualifying running backs. And just to kind of put that number in, you know, in perspective, that was just below what Leonard Fournette had that season. And that was actually ahead of Zeke Elliott and Derrick Henry, who were the first two running backs off the board last year. Um, so, you know, again, not saying that he's that, you know, that he's as good as those players necessarily, but it does kind of put that production into perspective to say like, Hey, you not, not many players, you know, in the FBS had that sort of production, um, when you, when you kind of combine those two metrics there. So I think, um, yeah, it was really impressive again, 2014 and 2015 put up those kind of numbers. Uh, and, and so you combine the production and, and the athleticism. I think that's really, uh, something that you don't see with too many undrafted guys where you get that sort of combination. So let's talk a bit about where he wins. And we're going to go through these in the same structure that we did the, the draft picks because we think if, if they're good enough to cover on the show, they're good enough to give at least the same treatment for the games that we could watch. And of course, we watch the games on draft breakdown. And so we're going to break down each player that we're going to talk about and where he wins, where he loses and where he fits. First thing where Breda wins is that he wears no gloves. <laughs> he goes barehanded. Uh, he's if, if it's Teddy two gloves and that's Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, it's Maddie no gloves. That is, he's no oh, no gloves. I was waiting for it. I only saw one fumble, um, and it wasn't actually a fumble. He lost the ball, but his butt had touched the ground. Um, but I was waiting. I was like, is he like, is he going to be able to do it with no gloves? And at least in the games that I watched, he was able to do it. So props, old school, old, old school, old school. Uh, I wonder if he's going to wear gloves in the NFL or if he's going to do the taper on the fingers. Uh, who was it? Was it like we had a DB? Like Keith around the fingers, something. man. I haven't seen that in in a minute. I don't think there's too yeah. many guys that are that are doing that anymore. I think, I mean, you maybe get away with the glove. You know, again, he was in playing in Georgia. You know, probably not venturing up north. You know, in December too often to to play any of the teams that were going to be on their schedule. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe you take a trip up. I don't know. If, I forget who is on our schedule off the top of my head right now. But you start, you know, getting into some of those NFC North teams, AFC North teams. Um, you might want to wear some gloves. You know, I don't know. I'm just gonna 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 throw that out there. Um, but again, so he 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 wins with with speed. Like yeah. you see the athleticism on tape. There's some there's some players where you're like, oh, that guy runs really really fast. But then you turn the tape on and you're like, uh, I'm not sure. You know, the flip side, of course, the example everyone knows is Jerry Rice didn't run all that fast, but he played very very quickly. And you do see this speed on tape. There was one play, and especially playing at Georgia Southern, of course, you always worry about competition. That's kind of the concern. And one of the first games I watched was a game against Georgia. And there was one play where he almost scored, where he bounces to the outside. It's not there. It's just everything's clogged up. It's Georgia defense. So he stops, turns around on a dime, runs behind the line, runs all the way around the outside, breaks up the field, and almost scores. He like tries to hurdle a defender at the last minute and, and steps out of bounds. Um, and so he is able to do that and run against a Georgia SEC defense. This isn't, you know, some kind of BS little school that they're playing. It's it's a SEC defense. And he has the speed to to match up and, and really to succeed against, you know, tier one defenses. And that's kind of what you want to see. You want to see those flashes for someone who tested this well athletically. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously being an SEC defense in, in Georgia there, you know that the the caliber of athlete uh, is is going to be there. But 
they were also like they were one of the best run defenses in college football that year. Uh, and, and, you know, this was a, a 2015 game. They were very good against the run. And one of the other games that they had and that, you know, it also in 2015 was against West Virginia, who West Virginia had a top 10 run defense yep. in college football that season. Big 12. Um, and, and, you know, so one of they, the only teams that played defense in the Big 12 because no one plays defense <laughs> in the Big 12. Defense is optional in the Big 12 generally. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was uh, and he had, you know, some impressive runs there. So I think when you look at those two games, right, again, you get a, an example of the athleticism in the Georgia game. I think in, in the West Virginia game, you really got to see what he can do after contact. Right. And, and kind of I, I think he's a very tough runner. You see him. Uh, yeah. he has great balance through contact. You, you see him kind of bounce off some of these tackles, right. And, and be able to keep moving forward and get additional yards. Um, and, and I think that was very evident in the West Virginia game. Cause there, there weren't, you know, I think if you go look at his box score line in that game, it wasn't overly impressive. I think he had, you know, he had under a hundred yards, but there were, there were a few runs there that you can really point to where it's like, okay, the offensive line, um, isn't, isn't doing so great, you know, isn't giving him a lot of room to run as you would kind of expect when, when you have that sort of talent deficiency. Um, and he's still making things happen. He's, he's carrying guys a couple yards after contact, you know, he's breaking tackles. So I, I think, um, you know, those are the type of plays that you can really see him. And then, and then when you see him against, you know, that lower level of competition, you want to see the guy dominate, right? You want to see him stand out and look like he's the best athlete on the field, uh, and, and kind of those other guys don't really belong there with him. And you definitely see that. I mean, he had just some absurd runs, um, you know, really, again, we talked about the big plays, had a lot of long runs. Um, and, and there were just some plays where you're just like, man, he, it's like he's uh, a college player still playing high school. Right. And it's just like yeah. he is on such another level of athlete compared to everybody else on the field. And that's, I think, something, again, that you really want to see when you're looking at some of the small school guys. There was a game against. Uh, there was a play against Western Michigan where he. It's a split zone play, and he takes it up the inside. He sees the the little crease open up, and it's it's a step, and he is at just about full speed, and he runs away from everyone. Uh, and and that's what you want to see against teams like Western Michigan. Uh, and, and then he's got. There was a play at the goal line. Um, I think against one of the other teams that I saw, where he makes two guys miss in a confined area, bounces off one guy, spins off another. I mean, he's a tough runner. He's a guy that I could see playing special teams early and then maybe in a year or even later this year, uh, really producing in in a spot role or a backup role, especially if Carlos Hyde can't stay healthy. Yeah, I mean, this is this. I I totally have to give props to to Jordan Plocker. I mean, this was, uh, you know, if if you guys uh, were paying attention during uh, the pre-draft and you were listening to those episodes, you know that we had Jordan on to talk about the defensive guys in this class. He hit me up right after the draft and was like, dude, you got to go check. Do your homework on Breda because or Breda um, b- because this kid's legit. Like he's he's a good player. I've been kind of following him for the last couple years. Like, go check him out. And so that was what even gave me an inkling to even go pay attention to him at all and, and not just kind of uh, like, oh, he's just another undrafted free agent. You know, I'm not going to give him really a, a ton of time. And yeah, he's just, I think he's a really impressive player. He definitely has some tools. And then I think when you combine that with, again, he's going to go get coached up by Bobby Turner, like one of the the best, if not the best running backs coach in football. Um, and so he's going to have a great opportunity there. Obviously Turner and, and Shanahan has been, they, they've been great at identifying these kind of late round guys, undrafted guys that fit well in our system and you did see him do some zone stuff. I mean, you mentioned the split zone. A lot of the the runs that they did 
um, were at least using zone blocking. I mean, in 2014, 2015, they were doing this kind of uh, cool like shotgun triple option sort of thing going on uh, yeah. on, on a lot of plays. I saw I saw a couple of the triple option plays and his his actual alignment in the backfield was really interesting because he would have this play where the quarterback's in pistol and he's basically like he could probably kiss the quarterback. <laughs> That's how close he is aligned to the quarterback. It was a really interesting formation and sometimes it worked and I mean he had the speed to do it but yeah it was it was interesting. Yeah, they they did some fun stuff. Chris was, you know, when he mentioned the the coaching staff change, he said he was, you know, talking about how their offense in 2014-2015 when they were doing some of that stuff was just uh, a lot of fun to watch and they gave, you know, some bigger programs a lot of trouble with it. So, you know, they had some of those those more college elements into it but you look at the the blocking schemes on a lot of that stuff and there there was uh you know a good amount of zone stuff so it is always again nice when you can see things that they're going to be asked to do in the NFL if you saw them do those things in college it just makes you feel all that more you know confident it's just in, you know, another uh extra layer that kind of makes you feel good about that player so i think yeah Brady i mean obviously as an undrafted guy odds are stacked against him you know most of these guys probably aren't going to work out um, but he is he is one to me that I think has the best chance to succeed um, when you talk about, you know, again, what he showed the coaching staff and their track record and, you know, his fit within the scheme. I just think everything kind of comes together. I think he's going to have a really, uh, really good opportunity to make this roster. So really quickly where he loses, I, I didn't see very much. Again, we're looking at draft breakdown cut up, so we don't get to see full games. We don't get to see a lot of passing routes. I, I did see him. Um, I think on one or two routes and he didn't look all that great with his hands or in or running routes again very very limited sample size pass blocking against larger opponents he didn't look very good he had one pass block snap against uh, a number someone I just noted number 90 um, but he barely moved the dude um, it, I mean it was like it was like hey you're Nat get out of my way I'm gonna go get this quarterback <laughs> um, and you know, but I saw him you know make a, a pretty successful cut block against someone else so you know, TBD, I'm sure there are, there are reasons why he went undrafted other than the level of competition. But I think ultimately he fits as someone who could be a core special teams player, maybe even a kick returner early on. And someone who, by all for all intents and purposes, is high effort and, and a stand-up guy who has the ability to really turn his athleticism into something uh, for this team. Yeah, I mean, I... Honestly, I need to watch some more Joe Williams still. Um, that's that's on my to-do list, hopefully for tomorrow. I I will not be surprised at all if this guy makes the 53 and ends up being a more productive player. You know, and if we look at it three years from now and, you know, Breda has more rushing yardage than Joe Williams does, like, I don't, I wouldn't be all that surprised if that happens. You know, obviously, again, Odd stacked against him being an undrafted guy. It's not the most likely outcome in the world, but I think there there's some serious potential with him. Well, you're looking at, and we'll talk a little bit about kind of takeaways from the roster construction in general, but you look at the running backs position right now, and the team typically, Kyle Shanahan teams typically carry about three running backs, not counting the fullback. Uh, and so you've got Carlos Hyde, Joe Williams, and then basically it's Capri Bibbs, Tim Hightower, and Matt Breda. That that's that's his competition. And, you know, we traded a fifth round pick. Was it a fifth round pick? I think fifth or sixth round pick uh, for Capri Bibbs. Um, so, if you, yeah, I think I think a fifth. I think that's right. If you consider if you consider him a fifth round pick, you consider Joe Williams a fifth round pick, you know, then really, I mean, that's 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 a tall that that's a bit of a tall order. You're looking at some long odds there. So we're still super high on Breda and we think he can do some great things. But 
you know, we're, we're unfortunately going to have to put that in context. Yeah, I think Bibbs is actually a great example of what we were talking about earlier, right? In, in terms of just because they acquired somebody this offseason, um, you know, we were mostly referring to free agency, but I think it applies to, with, with Bibbs in this trade. I don't think that really guarantees him anything, right? I think really what, what they're trying to do right now is get as much competition at some of these positions. I mean, th- their skill positions on, on the 49ers roster last year were awful, right? It was Carlos Hyde and yeah. basically no one else. Um, and, and so I think they want to bring in as many guys as they can at those positions and and just see how it plays out, right? I, I don't think anyone uh, is really guaranteed of anything at this point. So let's move on to the next player, and that's going to be a Mike Mayock special. One, Mr. Lorenzo Jerome. Two first names, which means you can't trust him. That's really what that means. <laughs> Never trust anyone with two first names. You just can't do it. Uh, and, and so he is the safety out of St. Francis. Man, St. Francis making a comeback on this podcast back from uh, the high school days. Not that St. Francis, but there's an FCS school called St. Francis, the, the Red Crush, I believe. Uh, and he was a Mike Mayock favorite, uh, someone who played very well at the Senior Bowl and in the uh, NFL PA Bowl. He had a combined four interceptions in those games. Uh, and Mike Mayock had uh, Lawrence Jerome in his top 100 available players. Here's what Mike Mayock had to say about Lorenzo Jerome on draft day. Jerome, I put him at number 100 because I like him. Nobody in the league thinks he's a third round pick. I do. He ran 4-7 something, and everybody took him off his draft boards. Look at the senior ball tape. Look at the other all-star team he went to. His Montana game was as good a safety game as I saw on tape. I know we are going to kill him for speed. I'm not. Lorenzo, Jerome, you're my guy. I'm glad you got that off your chest now, Mike. Charles has something to Tease Tabor ran in 4-7. Yeah, he was uh, he was pretty amped up, man. He may have been on like his fifth Red Bull talking about <laughs> Lorenzo Jerome. Uh, and that's, I mean, and that's you might need to add a zero to that. I mean, this was this was day three, right? So, yeah, uh, uh, this was late in day three. Uh, and so, yeah, so he still had him on his board uh, at 100. And and yeah, I mean, this is when you look at Lorenzo Jerome's tape and when you read a little bit about him, there was actually a, a really good piece that we'll post in the notes of the podcast uh, about him and his background, because he was one of the smaller school players that was considered draftable and his head coach Chris Villarreal said that quote Lorenzo can do it all and I mean that he's so valuable because of the limited roster spots the NFL has to work with and when they can find a player that can do as many things as Lorenzo can he's going to be a tough man to not want on your team I think his versatility early in his career will separate him from the other players in the draft until a team finds a home for him in their respective defense end quote so Lorenzo Jerome is someone who again not a lot of tape on him but and the tape that we saw, uh, it, it, he does win in that kind of versatile mold in that versatile area. He, I, I saw him return kicks. I saw him return punts. I saw him blitz. I saw him play in the box. I saw him play in the slot. I saw him play as a deep safety. Uh, and his coach in that same piece talked about how the, the team had lots of, uh, lots of mixed up coverages. So he wasn't just confined to one role in one coverage. Uh, so this is a player that is versatile and can play all over the place. And I tweeted out some clips as well where he's able to make some good tackles, he's able to recover. And really, I think where where he jumps out the most is with his ball skills. Dude's got some hands. 
Yeah, I mean, he. We were watching a few clips. I mean, you you certainly watched more of of Jerome than I uh, got a chance to. But I mean, dude is is a pretty natural pass catcher. Like, I, I think that's something that you don't really see too often with defensive backs, right? There's always like the cliche saying of, "Oh, that's why they play DB and not receiver," right? Is is they can't catch the ball, but. I mean, I think he he's somebody that looks very natural. He looks natural with the ball in his hands. You mentioned uh, kind of the, the the return ability a little bit and, and kind of playing in those roles. And so I think that's the thing that really gives him kind of the best chance, right? Obviously, when you're an undrafted guy, you're almost certainly going to have to play some sort of role on special teams in order to make the roster. He has the ability there. Um, and then I think the versatility at safety, right? Potentially sliding in and being able to be there's not really a clear backup option for Jimmy Ward at free safety right now. I, I don't think that anyone else really fits that role um, all that well. So I think that's an opportunity. But, you know, again, being able to slide in in case of an injury like so maybe the situation was if Jimmy Ward gets hurt, you got to bump Eric Reed back to, to free safety input Jaquaski Tart at strong safety. And now somebody like Jerome's got to be your primary backup at both spots, right? So having that sort of versatility, I think definitely helps him. And, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of, he, again, the small school background, not any, uh, didn't have any PFF data on him outside of the senior bowl. Um, you know, so we, he did make an appearance, obviously at the senior bowl and played really well there. We heard, uh, Mayock and the high praise that he gave him. He was one of PFF's highest graded players at the senior bowl on defense, um, so yeah, I think, you know, again, gives you, uh, warm and fuzzies about his ability to perform against higher level competition. There were a couple of plays that I tweeted out where he was able to blitz off the edge and he actually had a pretty, pretty awesome jab step. Uh, he did it against a, a poor running back where the court, the running back goes to, to cut block and he goes to cut block where Lorenzo Jerome was and not where he is because of the jab step. And it was like, oh, that poor running back. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and then he did it again to a right tackle uh, and was able to get a hit on a quarterback. Um, I saw him blitz. I saw him in the box. What's funny is when I compare him, you know, people who are super big on Lorenzo Jerome compare him to Ed Reed. And, and obviously that's a lofty comparison. And I'm not going to sit here and say that he's that kind of player. But when I looked at him and when I saw him on tape, I saw a little bit of Jaquaski Tart. And, and so when I'm thinking of where he will back someone up, I'm thinking he might back up someone like Jaquaski Tart before he would back up someone like a Jimmy Ward. Um, but he is definitely, I think, going to, to if he's going to make the team, he's going to make it definitely on special teams. And, and that's where his value is going to. Uh, that's where his value is going to be, be seen for the 49ers. It's just kind of insane to think that, like, I mean, obviously nobody else had him there. None of the NFL teams had him in that range. But the fact that he was Mayox, like a uh, hundredth overall player, like, that again, it makes him intriguing, right? It makes you think that, okay, there, there is likely some ability there. Um, Mayox, obviously a guy that does his homework. He's been wrong at times, you know, sometimes hilariously, but I think everybody that tries to do any of this draft stuff is going to have moments like that. So I don't really put, uh, as much stock as a lot of people there. I mean, he's somebody that clearly puts in a lot of work in it. He's informed. And and so the fact that he had that high of opinion, um, on him certainly uh, again is, is an encouraging sign. Lent Zerline also had a pretty good grade on him as well. Um, he had him, uh, I think, with uh, like a fifth oh, round grade or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I like um, Lance's stuff too. I mean, he does he does good yeah. work, yeah. People with good processes. And and the fact that people with good processes have him uh, even in the discussion, I think, is is a good sign for for what it is that we're, that we're trying to do here in San Francisco. So next up is going to be Hull Cole, <laughs> not Hull, uh, Cole Hicatini. <laughs> 
uh, and he is a tight end out of Louisville. He is someone that is it was another high priority free agent. He was, I think, being pursued by Green Bay and ultimately decided to sign with the 49ers. And so give us the line here on Cole uh, because he's got some pretty impressive uh, some pretty impressive receiving numbers, at least uh, here based on PFF data. Yeah, so I think the the ability as a receiver is really what sticks out. I mean, he was a converted receiver, you know, coming from high school uh, to college. Played, you know, so played receiver high school, converted to tight end once he got to Louisville. Um, and so you really see, I mean, that's that's pretty prevalent in his game. The blocking um, isn't isn't really always there. I, I think um, I think the effort is there a lot of the time, right? So which a lot of a lot of times with running backs and um, and tight ends and receivers. When it comes to blocking, especially in college, like a lot of those guys aren't going to be very refined. A lot, most of the the guys that are coming in at those positions have some work to do on the blocking front, um, and, and it's really more you want to see effort. You know, it's not going to be pretty all the time, but can you get the job done? And so I, I think you know there, there's some potential to to improve there, but certainly wasn't very good as a blocker in college. But yeah, put up some impressive numbers as a receiver. I think. Um, you know, he ended up last season with the eighth highest receiving grade uh, among tight ends, among 85 t- tight ends that had at least 500 snaps. Um, he was spent a good amount of time in the slot, so about 20, 21% of his snaps in the slot. So he can kind of move out, detach from the formation um, and put up some solid numbers there. And I think he complements well with what George Kittle brings to the table, right? George Kittle is a much better. He was one of the best blocking uh, tight ends in college football, you know, during his time at Iowa. So he's very good there. He fits, I think, more as an inline guy. I think, you know, obviously we talked about his athleticism and uh, he, he's off the charts there. And so I think he can move around and you can split him out in the slot. But he's a, a guy that I think spends more time in line uh, det- uh, attached to the formation. And then when you're in 12 personnel, you got two tight ends in the field. Hickettini could potentially be the guy that splits out to the slot, right? And uh, really is used more as a, a, a receiving type of player. I think what's interesting to me is that his 1.8 yards per route run overall ranked 18th out of 75 qualifying tight ends. And you're like, okay, 18th, there's a lot of tight ends in college football. There's 75 of them that were ranked. I mean, what's the big deal? Yeah, that ties in with O.J. Howard. And, and this is, and this is a, a rate stat, right? It's not like, oh, well, O.J. Howard didn't get utilized in Alabama's offense. This takes that into account because you're talking about per route run. So it's based on the number of times they would go out into a route. So, I mean, he, he does have some, some quality receiving skills. And, and when you think about where he wins, that's, that's exactly where. He's got soft, gorgeous, pillowy hands. Man, <laughs> you could do wonders with those hands. Uh, it's, it's, it's like the anti-Vernon Davis. Like, Do you remember how Vernon Davis used to like jump? to try and get his chest in front of the ball. It just looks so he, hard. It looked like he was yeah. like physically <laughs> straining to try to like catch the football. It, it made it look like the it most was. difficult thing in the world. When you're as muscular as he is, it's I, I, I imagine <laughs> it's hard to move. I just yeah, imagine maybe. that your muscles are so taut. Like. Yeah. They're so tense and they're so taut that it, it's like in rookie of the year, like any small movements just going to make your muscle go like Pah! and just explode. And, and, and it just, you know, it's hard. It's, it's being hard. It's hard being muscular. <laughs> and, and there was a, a play I tweeted out where Cole, he, you could see him, you could almost imagine him running this play in San Francisco where he is in a three-point stance at the end of the line. He's the second tight end. And it looks like a run play. 
and it's a play action pass and he just basically releases free into the seam after the play action and the quarterback throws the ball right over the underneath linebacker and it's a little high and Cole is able to jump up, adjust, high point the ball and come down with it uh, for a pretty good gain. And, and that's, I mean, you could see him doing that in San Francisco um, or Santa Clara, depending on your proclivities, um, all really, uh, really easily. You can see that skill translate. Um, and there was another play where they ran a, a tight end throwback where he pretends the block, falls down, and then leaks out to the backside. And Lamar Jackson just kind of drifts back and then throws the ball. And the ball's off target. It really is. But Cole's able to adjust, stretch out, and catch the ball. Um, the dude's got some hands. He's got really good hands. Yeah, I think you see, you know, he wasn't uh, necessarily the top-end athlete that, that Kittle was, but I think he almost profiles as more of like a tight-end version of Trent Taylor, right, where he's he's a little bit quicker than, more, more quick than fast, um, has a good ability to just kind of like find open spots, right, to, to create separation uh, it, it kind of the break point of the route. Um, to find the the holes and zones and and just kind of you know get open get I think as as a as a receiver whether that's you know actually as a wide receiver as a tight end when you're going out on routes right you have to win at some phase of the route whether that's uh, at the line of scrimmage and, and you're creating separation there you think like somebody like John Ross right is just so good off the ball he can kind of create that instant separation you think of uh, being able to create separation at the break point of the route so. Um, you know, in this draft class, it's somebody like Corey Davis, you know, as a Pierre Garçon, that's where he kind of wins is uh, the route running ability at the break point, being able to get away from the defender. Or you see somebody win at the catch point, right? Kind of the last minute. They don't do a great job of getting open necessarily like an Anquan Bolden. You're just kind of you got to trust him, throw the ball up to him and, and let him win. I think he's somebody that can win more at the break point, right, where he he's a, a savvy enough route runner. Um, obviously you always want to see improvement there. I think coming from college because college players, uh, just with the name, I mean, especially coming from that Louisville offense with Lamar Jackson and the threat that he is running the ball. Um, you, you get some, some open spaces to run into sometimes as a receiver in those offenses. So, uh, he certainly will need to continue to improve in that area. Um, but I think he's, he's, again, he's got some tools to work with and you can, you can envision a pretty clear role for him in the offense. Now, where he loses, I think, David, you alluded to it a little earlier, but it's in pass blocking uh, and in run blocking. Dear Lord, uh, I think I texted you last night when I was looking at some of his games that if we put him in pass protection, he might get someone killed. Um, and he just hit not very good. I saw him basically on, on back-to-back plays um, make just two cardinal sins, right? One is he puts his shoulders way over his feet. He gets completely extended off balance, uh, and the Clemson edge rusher just goes boop. And like knocks him out of the way, just like you're not even here. Don't even worry about it. Um, come back, come back the next snap, um, and then sure enough, they switch him to the other side on the next snap. And <laughs> different dude, same result. Uh, he just gets he just gets hit right in the chest, and, and he gets thrown out of the, out of the play. Uh, and so yeah, it um, he definitely needs some improvement in in pass blocking and a little bit in the run blocking as well. I think his run block his run block grade was 68 out of 85. Uh, based on Pro Football Focus's charting, so that uh, we didn't sign him because he's going to be an inline blocker. We signed him because he's got hands and he can be a receiver. Yeah, I think uh, you know, I I almost think after I watched the the two games or maybe even game and a half on on draft breakdown, 
I was maybe even a little flipped on that. I think I was a little more worried about his run blocking than his pass blocking even. Um, but neither are great, right? Like neither neither are very good. Both both need some work. Um, and so, yeah, again, I think as long as the the effort is there, I think you can get by, right? It's not always going to look great. But ultimately, like if you can just kind of keep that guy off long enough to either either for the running back to get by, you know, at the line of scrimmage or for the quarterback to get rid of the ball and pass protection, um, you know, that that can be enough at times. And I think that's again, if he does make the roster, that's probably not the role that he's going to have. You would imagine that one of the things that we love about Kyle Shanahan so much is that he does know how to kind of use players and play to their strengths and put them in situations uh, to succeed. So I, 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 I would be optimistic about him not hopefully being in too many of those situations. And frankly, the only bar he's got to clear in terms of blocking is Garrett Selleck. So, I mean, it's not, it's not a high not bar. Not a high clear. one at all. Nope. 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 Not at all. So it, it, those are going to be the three undrafted free agents that we're going to talk about. So let's talk about the roster just in general. Now that we've cleared the draft, we've signed our undrafted free agents the roster is, in large part, I mean, over half of it is brand new. 56% of the roster is brand new, 50 of 90 players. Most teams will have at least 40 new players on their initial 90-man roster. Um, you know, and, and the difference with the 49ers is that we could see a large portion of those 50 new players really make the roster. There's a chance for all of these players to be there when the final roster cuts get down to 53. So, David, are there any takeaways that you have been able to glean or that you pulled from the new regime's roster philosophy and the way that they've constructed the 90-man camp roster so far? I think the the first thing, and, and this was something that we mentioned, you know, after in, in kind of the draft recap that we did, but I think it bears repeating, they they really do value athleticism, I think, more than the previous uh, regime. I think you've really seen um, kind of some top-end spark athletes get get selected I think when you you look at the top five picks, um, with the exception of you know the quarterback CJ Beathard, um, they were all plus plus athletes. I mean, uh, all at least sixty fifth percentile or above. Um, Joe Williams was actually on the low end of that. He was the guy that was right there at sixty fifth. He was the guy who brought the average down. Yeah. Everyone else was like in ninety or above. Everyone else was ninety or above. Ruben Foster, we again we don't have um, testing for him because you know he was kind of a moron at the combine, um, <laughs> but. We we can assume that he would have tested very well. I feel very confident saying that he would have been at least in the 65th percentile, if not significantly higher. He he's a very, very good athlete for his position. So I, I think, you know, in, in the premium picks, right, the, the picks that they had at the top of the draft, that was really something that was a priority. And I think you see it. You're going to see it at different positions. And this is something that I'm really interested to see, you know, over the next few years. I think we'll be able to to better identify um, which positions they really place that value on. Because obviously it's more important in some places than others, right? It's more important to have, I think, athletes on defense. I think it's more important, especially at like corner, you know, edge rusher. That's really important, um, you know. And so I, it'll be interesting to see where they kind of value that a little bit more than others. Because obviously you're not going to just fill up your your team full of of top athletes and right not there's going to be kind of a mix of guys there trent taylor was a good example of somebody that didn't test super well but brings some value obviously to the table so yeah i think that was is something that just kind of continues to stick out matt breda again being one of their priority free agents um being the top running back uh in spark there so i think this is something that that they are clearly placing a much higher value on 
than you know Trent Baalke and and that regime did. And even if it wasn't a draft pick, even if it was some of the free agent signings, they still valued speed, especially at the wide receiver position. And Marquise Goodwin ran a four two seven forty at the combine, and and I know Marquise Goodwin because he played wide receiver at Texas. And he was an Olympic level sprinter at Texas. He was in the track team. That four two seven score is the third fastest since two thousand and two, and that includes John Ross's record breaking four two two. So he's super fast. Aldrick Robinson, another guy that we signed as a slot guy, he's got a four four three forty time. You know, Katie Cannon, RIP for the three and a half seconds he was on the <laughs> roster, he was a four four one guy. And then of course our seventh round pick, Adrian Colbert, he was a four four nine guy as well. So. Even if it wasn't just overall athleticism or, or the spark score, which is what we prefer to measure athleticism by, if you're just looking at straight line speed, they still added another, you know, four people and then three after the Katie Cannon incident um, to to really bolster the speed of the team, which, I mean, that's, let's see, five, nine, ten players. I mean, that's 20% of the 50 they added that are all either fast or incredibly athletic. And that's exactly what this team needs. That's exactly what they need. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it, uh, I remember, like, multiple times throughout the playoffs, right? And you see Atlanta. Everybody, right, was at the point that we started expecting Kyle Shanahan to become the the head coach and, and maybe start paying a little bit more attention to what Atlanta was doing uh, throughout their playoff run, right? And it was just so evident when you looked at the way that that team was built, you know, especially on defense, I think. Um, they were just so fat they had speed all over the place right you looked at speed at the skill positions yeah speed on defense Mm -hmm. Vic Beasley Deion Jones like all of these guys that they're bringing in um were were just you know very good athletes and I think that's something uh that that definitely has a place in today's NFL that right is a little bit more wide open more sub packages not as many big guys on the field for a large percentage of snaps um I think, you know, especially on defense to me, defense is, is so um, big to have really great athletes uh, that, that it just, that that approach I think makes a lot of sense. It was, it was a, a something that they needed an influx of on this roster. I think Vic Beasley to me is the example of this strategy working. Do you remember when Vic Beasley was drafted? Like the, everyone was like, Vic, who? Like, why would you draft him ahead of all these other big name guys that had all this production and all this amazing stuff? And, and then his first season, he didn't do a whole lot of much, but he was a he was a ridiculously good athlete. He had a very very good P spark score, and all of a sudden he's able to put it together. And in year two, he goes crazy, and and that's what that's what the gamble is on athletes. The the gamble is that you can't teach athleticism, but you can teach everything else. And when you do teach those other things, and those things stick, then the athleticism takes over. Um, and I think that's the gamble that you're starting to see here in San Francisco as well. But I think the second takeaway is that there are a metric shit ton of skill position players on the roster currently. There are 25 total currently uh, in terms of skill position players that are on the roster. 13 wide receivers, 6 running backs, 6 tight ends. But realistically, we're we're looking to keep about 12 to 13 of those players on the final roster. I went back and I looked at the roster construction of all the teams that Kyle Shanahan was an offensive coordinator for from 2013 to 2016. And when you do look at those skill positions, I mean, on average, they keep three running backs. On average, they keep about six wide receivers. On average, they keep about three tight ends on offense in terms of skill positions. So, I mean, you're looking at like 11, 12, depending on how many quarterbacks you keep in terms of skill positions that you've got to compete with, fullback notwithstanding, because there's one role and Kyle Juszczyk has got that one. 
So, you know, there's there's going to be some some quality people that, you know, you would think are quality maybe because you know the name that are going to get cut. You know, like Tim Hightower, for instance, if Breda makes the team, Tim Hightower is probably gone. Yeah. When you think about wide receivers, right, you're thinking of or when you're thinking of tight end, right, Vance McDonald. I don't think he's safe. We can eat his contract. Um, you know, there's some people that you may not expect. There may be some surprise cuts just because of the numbers game. Yeah, I'm I'm like really, really interested to see how many kind of uh, of the incumbent players at these positions stick around. Um, I think at running back, we're already down to Carlos Hyde being the only one left. Um, he's you know, once we got rid of Dewan Harris and Mike Davis, that was it. So it's it's Carlos. Hyde, and I think he's, uh, you know, again, if you had to pick one guy that he's the guy that is is safe, even though, you know, you've seen some things about they may not be committed to him long term and are worried about the injuries and certain things like that. Like, I, I think he's pretty safe for this year. I, don't, I can't have a, I can't have another one and done jersey. I just got a Carlos Hyde jersey last year. God damn it. I had to replace my cab jersey. Yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, some people have been bringing up that they don't know how good of a fit he is. I think that's ridiculous. I think he's an excellent fit. Um, yeah, I, I think the, what it comes down to is, are you worried about his ability to stay healthy with the, the, the style of runner that he is? And I think that is a legitimate concern. Um, the fit is, is certainly not. But I think, yeah, there's, there's, I think, little chance that he doesn't make the roster this year, barring some sort of, like, crazy trade that's unexpected. I think at tight end, I think you could very well see the entire position get turned over, right? Where you don't have a single player like having George Kittle, Logan Paulson and Cole Ecatini being your three tight ends on the roster like that wouldn't be a surprise at all, right? Like I, I think you could absolutely envision that scenario playing out and then you get to receiver and it's like, okay, Jeremy Curley, he's probably the strongest one uh, that, that stuck around there. Obviously, we like Bruce Ellington a little bit more, but he's kind of a situation where you haven't seen it, right? They're 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 not tied yeah. to him. He hasn't put up the production. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. Uh, it, it would certainly not be a surprise for them to move on from him. And I don't know that like anybody else there, like the DeAndre Smelters, Aaron Burbridges, like those guys aren't guaranteed anything. Like I think those they're probably more likely to be gone than anything. So uh, I, I think we could be looking at a complete like what like 90 95 percent revamp of the skill position players in one offseason what's so interesting about the wide receiver position is that there's only one player listed above 6-1 and that's deandre smelter at a towering 6-2 uh and i say towering legitimately because that's way taller than me um and, and so you look at just the the size and and to me that wide receiver position i think of the incumbent and you're right jeremy curley is about the only incumbent but i i really do wonder if jeremy curley is substantively better than someone like an Aldrick Robinson, who plays very similarly, has a very similar frame. Jeremy Curley's 5'9", 188. Aldrick Robinson's 5'10", 187. Both 28 years old. Uh, Jeremy Curley has two more years of tread on the tires than Aldrick Robinson. But Aldrick Robinson is considered one of those kind of small in the slot guys. And Trent Taylor, 5'8", 181. Right? Like, are, are you really going to keep three of your five guys as you know, kind of slot five eight 180 guys i don't think so i think maybe you keep two and if you keep then another four if let's say you keep six wide receivers which is a high number if you look at what they've done in years past kyle shanahan teams they've kept five five seven and six that's 2013 2014 2015 2016 that averages the six but they've kept as many as seven but i think they probably want to keep five or six if you keep two kind of slot guys and you keep pierre garçon which, yeah, I mean, that, that's your guy, right? That's your bell cow. 
then you've got two more spots, maybe three for some of these other guys. I mean, I think you look at how it pieces together. And and to me, like an Aldrich Robinson is more of an outside guy to me. I think him and Marquise Goodwin are kind of fighting for the same sort of snaps where they're they're more vertical players, like have the deep speed um, and they're kind of the deep threats of of the group, essentially. So I think you look at those guys competing for snaps. You know, Garcon obviously is there. And then I think you move to the the slot role and it's it's Trent Taylor it's Jeremy Curley and it's Bruce Ellington or, or your three guys there. And so, um, yeah, I, I think, I don't know. It's, it's really tough. I mean, the only ones that I feel super confident in are probably Pierre Garcon and then actually Trent Taylor, because I mean, he seems to be, he was Kyle Shanahan's yeah. draft crush, right? Like, uh, and I think he's a very talented player and I think he brings something to the table that even the other slot guy, like he's just a different type of slot guy than, than somebody like Curley, um, or, or even Ellington, who's, you know, Ellington obviously is kind of somebody that we hoped would be a more multifaceted player and, you know, kind of like a Randall Cobb-esque type guy that could yeah. maybe line up in the backfield and, and do a lot of different things. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, again, I think you could see where, where we just don't get, it. like, would it be surprising to you to see Jeremy Curley get cut, like, in favor of, of Trent Taylor? I don't or know. Like, I well, don't... let's approach it a different way. Let's Let's say that there are, two outside spots in one slot. And we're going to do a starter and backup at each one of those positions. That gets us to six wide receivers. So you've got, you know, kind of outside receiver one, Pierre Garcon and his backup, maybe just, um, and, and maybe it's DeAndre Smelter, right? Or maybe it's Aaron Burbridge. Then you've got slot guy. You've got Jeremy Curley and Trent Taylor. I think Bruce Ellington, I think he's gone. As much as I would love for him to stay, he's gone. And then you've got other outside guy, and you've got Marquise Goodwin and Aldrich Robinson. Yeah. And so really, really the only spot that's left is is going to be, you know, is it Aaron Burbridge? Is it DeAndre Smelter? You know, or is it someone else that stays on? Or maybe that's the one receiver they don't keep to keep five. Yeah, I think it's it the guy, you know, in that scenario, the backup to, to Garcon is really the guy that I think is is most in question there, right? I think... Yeah, Curly, Trent Taylor, Aldrich Robinson, Marquise Goodwin on the outside being your deep threats. That all makes sense. And then once you get beyond those five, I think it's really difficult to kind of pin down who they like. You know, I, I think it would be nice if somebody like DeAndre Smelter worked out to give them kind of a, a bigger option, right? Maybe bring something to the table that's a little bit different than than the rest of the group there. But yeah, I don't really feel confident in in anyone being that six guy. So, yeah, maybe it's a situation where they keep five and they keep an extra running back or they keep an extra tight end because they feel like the, the group there is is stronger overall. All right, so really quickly, let's round it out with uh, some quick hits because uh, they're fun and they're quick and we're running out of time. Uh, what do you think is the strongest position on the roster currently? I really want to say secondary, but I think I got to go dealing. I mean, you got three first round picks, right? You, you get Armstead Buckner and, and Solomon Thomas up there. Like those should be, uh, again, very good players to kind of anchor the defense. So I, I think you have to go defensive line. I, I like the the potential in, in the uh, defensive backfield, though. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree. I really wanted to just throw a curveball at you and just say quarterback because um, it's, you know, <laughs> 
the strongest quarterback position we've had here in, in about two years. Uh, but Oh, my God. I'm um, so happy that I don't have to spend time watching Blaine Gabbard play football anymore. We, I feel so. We should actually send a, 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 a sorry, like just a, a sorrowful note to Jordan because his cardinal signed uh, Glenn Babbert today. Hopefully he just and, never, I mean, you should never see the field. It's such a joke no. that he got signed. Uh, I mean, honestly, Carson Palmer hit that quarterback cliff last year pretty hard. Uh, I, I think you could see the Blaine Gabbert era. I think it's hilarious <laughs> that people wanted to say that like, oh, Blaine Gabbert's a good fit for that offense, for the system. It's like, no, no he's the complete opposite of a Cap- good fit. Captain Checkdown? Yeah, like Captain Checkdown this is an offense is that like- likes to push the ball downfield, throw deep passes. Uh, and he just he doesn't even know what that is. No, no, not at all. Uh, so I definitely agree. But let's then flip it and say, what's the weakest position or on the roster currently? Uh, I think to me, it's the offensive line, the offensive line beyond Joe Staley. I, I mean, I think there are a couple. Uh, I should say Joe Staley and Jeremy uh, Zuta are like the two guys that I feel relatively confident in. Um, and I think after that, it's kind of a disaster. It was just a bad year to need offensive line help. There weren't um, that many great guys available in free agency. The draft was a disaster for offensive linemen. Um, so I think they did it. You know, they did right mostly avoiding uh, putting a lot of resources in those areas. But um, it's I yeah, I'm I'm worried. I think that's the thing. As much as I like kind of the, some of the new pieces and the way things could potentially fit. Uh, offensively to at least be an improvement this year. Not again, not good necessarily, but, but an improvement, the offensive line worries me. I, I think that's going to be kind of a nightmare. Yeah, I agree. Not much more to add there. Cause I think it's pretty obvious where the weak spot is here on the offensive line. Um, and, uh, and then lastly, most intriguing position on the roster for whatever reason you choose the criteria. So I, I, I guess for some of the reasons that we talked about, I could maybe do, um, you know, receiver running back, like one of the skill positions. But I think uh, I, this is where I'm going to go with the secondary. Um, I just like a lot of, I'm like really intrigued to see how Jimmy Ward's going to do it. Free safety. I love the idea of having uh, Akella Witherspoon and Richard Robinson on the outside. Um, I'm interested to see what Will Redmond does. You know, he, I think has, a legit chance to, to kind of take that slot role with Jimmy Ward being the free safety. Um, so I think there's all name team Prince Charles Awara. Yeah. I, I just think, yeah, there's some, there's some Dante talent Johnson's there. in a better scheme fit, right? Yeah. Dante Johnson, I think could end up being kind of the, the primary backup to, to Witherspoon and Richard Robinson. Um, you know, and he's obviously, I think a player that we've liked maybe a little bit more than, than some other people have. Um, we just talked about Lorenzo Jerome. Lorenzo Jerome, right? Yeah. So I think there's there's a lot of players that are unproven um, that I think that I'm really high on, right? That I think could be very good players uh, if they get a chance to develop. So I think I'm really interested to see how that all comes together, how these guys develop, um, and, and just kind of what it looks like in this new scheme as well. And for me, honestly, it's tight end. And it's tight end because... It, not just because you'll pull the belldozer away from my cold dead hands, but because <laughs> this is, I feel like it, we can get back to a place where we can be positionally versatile just by the tight ends that we put out on the field. George Kittle is, I think, an underrated receiver and a fantastic blocker. Tight end and then one. you've got, yeah, absolutely. I think he's tight end one right away. And then 
even if we do keep Vance McDonald and and play him as tight end two, um, you know, he's not as much of a threat, but he's, you know, I guess he played okay when he was able to catch the ball last year at times. But you you put him, let's say you put George Kittle, and then and then you put Cole Hikatini out as the two tight ends. And then let's say you've got your fullback out there as well. And you, you know Juszczyk can run a route. He's good for a route or two. All of a sudden, what looks like a super run-heavy formation, you split Hikatini out wide, you keep hit, uh, Kittle in a short set, you run check uh, out on a route from the fullback position, and you can really attack defenses in a way that they're not going to be able to get tendencies based on on what they think is coming just on who's lined up at a, at a formation one way or the other. Um, and, and I still have hopes for, for Blake Bell, the belldozer. I wouldn't be surprised if he was cut, but I hope he's able to, to, to stay on. So I really do think that the tight end position and what we're able to do there, if we're able to maximize what we can do with those players, it could really make this defense, um, or I'm sorry, the, the offense um, kind of like surprisingly versatile from a base formation, which based on what Kyle Shanahan does is really, really good. Yeah, I think tight end uh, is definitely up there. I mean, that was one of the top positions. I forget if we talked about this actually on a podcast or if it was just we were talking about it in general. Um, But like of the positions that I kind of most wanted them to just wipe the slate clean, right? Get rid of everybody that's on the roster, bring in a whole new uh, a whole new group of guys. I don't even care if they're good. Just give me new people. Uh, at that position because the the current group is so bad that was right at the top of the roster I think it was like that and the non Navarro Bowman inside linebackers that was kind of you know the two spots that I think it made a lot of sense so yeah I agree tight end is going to be really interesting to see having that run pass versatility Um, I will add uh, just slightly intriguing not as much to me as is the other spots Um, but I, I am interested to see where people end up at linebacker because I think the the yeah. top three linebackers to me, right, are, are going to be Navarro Bowman, Reuben Foster, and then Ray Ray Armstrong. So then the conversation becomes in base situations, which, it, again, in sub packages, which is what they're going to be in most of the time, this isn't a big deal. It's Bowman, it's Foster. Ray Ray is going to spell him a little bit because I think he's he's the next kind of best one in coverage there. And it's fine. That's what they're at majority of the time. But in base... If those are your your best three, right? How do you get them all on the field at the same time? Um, and, and so I think because what you're missing there is a Sam, effectively. I think so that maybe that's Navarro Bowman. Is he your Sam? Right? Is is maybe we say Navarro Bowman? We still like him in coverage. Injuries have taken away a little bit of the athleticism. We want him to be up on the line of scrimmage a little bit more. Um, you know, does he play that role? I think he could. And, and then all of a sudden, now you're fitting. Uh, Ruben Foster at Mike, and then you're fitting Ray Ray in at, at the will spot. So yeah, I'm just curious to see, cause I would really rather not spend a lot of time having Ahmad Brooks out there or, uh, or the dude that they brought in that I'm blanking on. Uh, that's not good from Seattle, Malcolm Smith. Um, yeah, I, I mean, if we can avoid having those players on the field, like I'm down for that. Um, so I, Malcolm Smith is another guy whose contract you, you might think to yourself, yeah. oh, well, his contract means that he's going to stay on the roster, but he's another guy that, you know, may, maybe he does get cut. 
And, and I would, I mean, honestly, I would, I would eat that dead money just to cut him Absolutely. based on, on, I, I mean, I, he's not a good yeah. football player. I don't think. Yeah. It, uh, at least not based for the money that we gave him is I think the, yeah. the qualifier, yeah. the qualifier there, but yeah, the, the, the Shanahan teams have kept traditionally seven or eight linebackers. And so for, and usually it's four outside linebackers, uh, and then, you know, two or three inside linebackers, um, or, or, you know, thereabouts, Washington was the outlier because they had they listed um, a couple pass rushers at linebacker, but it's um, it, it'll be interesting to see how how linebacker shakes out. But yeah, I think I think if you were to do it traditionally just based on fit, you would think that Ahmad Brooks is your Sam, and then you've got Bo at Mike, and then you've got your your uh, Reuben Foster as your yeah. uh, as your as your your weak side, your Will. Um, but you know who knows. Who who knows it, that that is actually interesting. I hadn't given too much thought to that. Yeah, I just think I I like the idea. I mean, Ray Ray was playing really well, um, you know, in in and it was very limited sample for sure. And uh, you know, we talk about that a lot in in terms of we we don't know if that's going to stick around if he's going to be that same player. But um, I do think at this point, you know, with him being a younger guy and showing some potential, I, I would much rather have him out there and see what he brings to the table than somebody like Ahmad Brooks, who we know is kind of. Uh, very much on the downside of his career. Yeah, incidentally, of uh, Ray Ray, Bo, and uh, Ruben Foster, the heaviest of the three, Navarro Bowman. Yeah. At 242. Yeah. Man, Ruben Foster, 228. I thought he was a little bit, I I would have guessed, yeah, yeah, a little bit heavier than that, a little closer to what Bowman is, but... Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, he he tells us that that's why he drank all that Pedialyte. He had to weigh heavier at the combine. <laughs> you know, that's why he did it. He hey, take the man at his word. I, I just hope that, uh, I mean, that's an area where you're really hoping that Lynch uh, and the culture that he's bringing there, that's what he's there for, right? He's uh, bringing that element to the table. You hope that they have a plan for him. Um, and and if, if they can figure that part out, let him be the Reuben Foster that he was on the field at Alabama, like they're going to be in good shape. That's right. And then give him a gas mask so he can be the Reuben Foster he was off the field. Uh, hang out with Larry Tunsil. Uh, so that about does it for this week, uh, this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Uh, we are going to have this bad boy up tonight and, and we'll have some tweets and some embedded content in the article on Niners Nation for you to check out. You can always follow us on the Twitters. You can follow me at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? Uh, it's going to be at Newman NFL. Um, and also, like, just last-minute thing, we haven't asked this in a while. Like, we had a lot of people listening to the last the, the draft recap episode. It was one of our most listened-to episodes in a while. Um, we haven't had an ad on this show in, like, five years. Like, if you like it, do us a favor. Go to iTunes, leave us a review, follow us on SoundCloud, do all those things, tell your friends, like, spread the word a little bit here. Um, we, we would very much appreciate that. That's right. Leave a rating, share the podcast, share with a friend, uh, tell them all about uh, the good stuff that's happening because we want to do our very best to uh, eventually put an ad, I guess, uh, on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, that may change, <laughs> but I think, you know, there there aren't many podcasts that have been ad free for as long as we've been ad free. So, uh, you know, we don't we don't really very routinely ask for iTunes stuff or for any of that sort of, of action. So, um, yeah, if you, you have time, if you can take a a minute to leave a review um that would is certainly be very helpful helpful for us well thanks again everyone for tuning in and as always go niners
Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.